Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. All right, Outcomes Rocket listeners, I want to welcome you to the show once again today, the Outcomes Rocket the connection hub for medical thought leaders and influencers that inspires improved outcomes and business success. You could have done one of a million things today, but you decided to hit the play button. And for that, I thank you. And we're going to give you a great show. So today I have a distinguished guest. Her name is Anita Promoda. Ms. Promoda is the CEO of Vizient's new analytical subsidiary called Edium. EDM applies cognitive computing to multi-data sets across healthcare to unite multiple constituents in service of patients. Previously, she served as the founder of Owned Outcomes Incorporated since 2012. Owned Outcomes Incorporated is a software company that provides analytical help to healthcare providers and payers as they seek financial sustainability in addition to clinical outcomes in patient care. She also serves as an executive advisor to technology crossover ventures on the boards of Health Catalyst, Dignity Health Foundation, and the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco in Los Angeles. She previously served as the CFO of Epic Systems Corporation on the tech operations and as a board member at Allscripts. Ms. Promota holds an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. And the list goes on and on. But what I want to do, Outcomes Rocket listeners, is open up the mic to Ms. Promota to maybe round up that introduction and cover anything I may have missed. No, thank you for having me, Saul. You did a great job. Thank you once again. Look forward to the discussion today. Wonderful. And so, Anita, you know, one of the things that I really admire about you and the things that you've done in in your career is just that power of holding the patient at the center of everything that you do. And so, I always like to kick off the show by asking my guests the question, why the medical sector? Why did you decide to get in? You know, we all spend an awful lot of time in this place called work every day in, in what it is that we do professionally. And uh, to the extent it occupies that many of our waking hours, it better hold a very special meaning to us, right? So I grew up in India. I grew up in a joint family with 17 family members. And, you know, when you grow up in a joint family, someone is always celebrating something. Someone's Mm -hmm. always upset about something. And someone is always sick, right? And you realize how relevant feeling healthy is on one's individual life as well as one's life in an overall family, community, and social context. So I thought, man, this is actually something that I could do to help. And I could do this by way of computer science. So that's my reason for having chosen healthcare in the first place and then having stuck with it for all these years. That's wonderful. So it's really that legacy of being part of a large family and just the the day-to-day that brought about the appreciation of health. And now through your love of computer science, have been able to apply it in the medical sector. That's wonderful. So, Anita, what would you say a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you and the organizations you're involved with approaching this topic? So, you know, when you think about why in the United States people go bankrupt, two out of three people in America are going bankrupt when they have, when they personally or one of their family members has an adverse health event. 
So if you have to go bankrupt to access and afford help when you have a health crisis, that's not called access, right? That's really bad. We, we get an F grade for that, right? So mm-hmm. one of our highest priorities should be a way to bend the cost curve and make healthcare available on the day someone needs it without having without them having to go bankrupt for it, right? So that's, a, in my mind, a high priority. A path of how we get there is there is, there is a lot of units of evidence that we are creating in the care that we deliver across the country, millions and millions of caregivers, whether it's physicians, other clinicians, and everybody else that's helping that process. And there is this opportunity to then uh, learn from the data that's generated across all of those points and collectively harness that wisdom to find a way to then throw out waste, find a way to do less, a fewer suboptimal things and find a way to do winning things for patients, right? So the second thing I hope every healthcare leader is thinking about is what is the path to democratizing data and leveraging it to learn from it and do the best things at the best possible time for every single patient. So those are the two big things that I think people should worry That's wonderful. And so what is an example of how you guys at uh, EDM, for instance, are doing this? So EDM is a joint venture that we made uh, with Vizian. And a big part of why we did that was Vizian represents a membership of so many health systems around the country. And there is indeed this opportunity to join hands together, collaborate and learn from it and get better. And that's what the members wanted. And so one of the first things we've done is we have made available evidence in response to questions that various people that work at the various member systems have. So by that, I mean, if you're somebody working in quality department and you're worried about the mortality associated with ventilator-related pneumonia, Mm -hmm. or you're worried about how to lower infection rates in centerline, collapsing, or CARI, or whatever you're worried about. So there is, there's people that are worrying about quality issues. There's people that are, are leading service lines, clinicians that are leading service lines in health systems that also have questions on what to standardize on, better understand the clinical practice that their colleagues are engaging in. There's people in supply chain that are trying to submit, procure very efficiently to support this. Ultimately, everyone is chasing a unit of outcomes so. And so if people are chasing a unit of outcomes, what better way to you know, join forces than look to evidence to be that glue that holds all of us and unites all of us. So we built a little search box. We call it the evidence engine. And okay. in there, you could go in and type a question that says, you know, what are the clinical benefits of gender-specific implants compared to unisex implants in total knee orthoplasty? And the artificial intelligence brain that we've developed behind it in real time will return you an answer that's based on it's gone and scoured every single published article. I'm talking about peer-reviewed, what is being taken from the data world and admitted into the evidence world. It'll read all of it. It'll tag it. It'll summarize it. It'll score it. And then it'll come back and present a summary sheet uh, to you that says, you know, a gender-specific implant must be, compared to the unisex implant, must be scored on the following clinical metrics like lower pain or quicker functional restoration, so on and so forth. And underneath, very transparently, it will show you word by word on what it read and tell you based on the evidence that's found in published literature, here is what supports the argument and here is what negates the argument. And this is all done in real time. And it enables that natural language interaction because the way human beings communicate is they don't have an extremely well-formed scientific research question. They ask a question, they see an answer, 
they ask a follow-up question. And so this allows for every single person across health systems in America, and hopefully someday elsewhere in the world as well, to access anything and everything that is available in published literature. So that's the first example of what we've built for healthcare. And we are hoping that that enables the transparency in data and helps everybody align around that unit of outcome based on the unit of truth. Wow, that is extremely fascinating, Anita. And I'm intrigued by the evidence engine and its ability. And you're saying that you could plug in a question and get a response in real time? Like how long does it take to get a response to your question? Real time, as in something between two and three seconds. That's pretty amazing. And I'm really interested in sort of the applications. I mean, does this span every application that a clinician can think of? Or are you guys starting with a specific subset of, for instance, uh, focus disease states? So we are starting with, instead of thinking about it in verticals, think horizontally. So we're starting with the procedures like clinical practices. And we're also starting with medical devices. So the part we haven't got around to yet is pharmaceuticals. Got it. Very interesting. And and this idea, Outcomes Rocket listeners, one of the things that, that I, I really want to highlight here that Ms. Pomoda really wants to teach us is this idea of data democratization. Today, we've done business in silos and the silos are coming to an end with products like the one that Ms. Promota is working on over at Edium with Vizient and the various other technologies that are out there. The silos of yesterday are gone. Tomorrow, we're going to have transparency, and it's imperative upon all of us as leaders and influencers in this sector to be proactive in our approaches with the use of this type of technology and evidence engines. And so I truly believe that what the folks at Edium are doing with Ms. Promota's guidance is really going to change the way that healthcare is done. So this is very interesting, and I'm thankful that you brought up this topic of uh, artificial intelligence. It seems like a lot of folks are just talking about it, but not applying it. And I really love that you guys have found a way to make specific applications like the ones you have. No, I, you know, that's a very fair comment for you to make because in healthcare, we are in the business of saving lives, right? So we're meeting, our clinicians are meeting patients in their most dire moments when they're filled with anxiety, when they're filled with pain and when they're filled with very exceptional scenarios. And every one of those encounters all day, every day, throughout the year, our clinicians have to perform magic, deliver them the best thing, right? Which means, generally speaking, if as much of it as possible must come from muscle memory. And any change, any new technology actually breaks muscle memory. It sets them back before they can move forward. Mm. And so as technology writers, I feel like we need to be empathetic to that and try to bring them solutions, like deeply understand the problem and bring them things that solve very, very specific problems as opposed to here is a general purpose platform. Why don't you figure out what you can do with it? That's just hard in the context of all the things that they have going on. So we are honored that we were able to listen to the member hospitals at Vizient and we were able to listen carefully and collaborate across different functions and across different members that we were able to then 
pinpoint a very specific problem and try and find a very specific solution to it. That's wonderful. And so, Anita, when we take a look at what you guys have done at Edium and even your experience across the various organizations that you've led and been a part of, can you give the Outcomes Rocket listeners an example of how you and the organizations you've worked with have created results by thinking and doing things differently? I think in healthcare, yes, we want to be innovative, but I think the bigger skill in healthcare is learning how to listen very well to care to clinicians, right? Because when it's very dangerous to get enamored with the technology journey that we are on and then to pursue it to reveal all the brilliance in each of its facets, right? So yes. one of the greatest companies I ever worked at was, was Epic. And Epic is a very successful technology company. And I actually believe, having worked there, I actually believe that one of Epic's greatest strengths was listening to customers listening to customers and deeply understanding their problems and then solving it within the context of their problems and not getting caught up in the beauty of the technology, if you will. So back, I fondly look back to those memories and think about how even allowing physicians to set up preferences so that the software can be a little bit more bent to their preference and bent to their practice styles. It sounds very simple from a technology perspective, but it is priceless in the context of clinical practice. So that's something that I've, I've really enjoyed being a part of. And it's evidenced in the in the success that Epic has had, you know, through your tenure there and even beyond. And I'm thinking that potentially that culture of just deeply understanding customer problems and truly listening to the customer should be at the core of all of our organizations. What do you believe enables organizations to do that to their culture? Keep listening at the core of their their culture? It starts with humility, right? It starts by saying, and humility is not being courteous or speaking in a soft voice, right? Humility is believing that there is more, the complex, the problems that we're solving are very complex. And no matter how well I as an individual or any individual has thought through it, chances are the final answer is going to be some part of what I've thought about and possibly several other parts of what other people have thought about. And then all of that pulled together and ultimately uh, formed, well formed into a solution that's useful to solve the problem, right? So it's a culture of that self-awareness where you understand that problem. There's more than one ways to so- one way to solve the problem. And there's so many facets to the problem that it takes the best minds to collaborate. And when people understand that, and we try very hard at Health Catalyst, this is a technology business in Salt Lake City that I serve on the board of. We try very, very hard to perpetuate that culture. It has to start from the top and it has to go across the organization into every single role. And then it has to then be evidenced in how we interact with our customers. So we try very hard to practice that every day. This is wonderful. And that culture of self-awareness, humility, and just listening. And so as you've gone through your journey and you've had the ups and downs as all leaders have, I feel like we learn a lot more from our mistakes than our successes sometimes. And so let's take an opportunity to share with Outcomes Rocket listeners a time when maybe you made a mistake or failed and your takeaway from that. You know, the hardest mistakes for me have been in making hiring decisions where somebody hasn't been the right fit. So, you know, it's a big uh, challenge for all of us, right? (laughs) Right. And often it comes back to every single, and we seem to do a fairly good job of, you know, vetting people's credentials. And we all consistently aspire to hire people with stellar credentials. 
And often when we fail, I go back and look at it. I think it brings a newer level of awareness around how crapshoot some of the subjective parts of recruiting is. I mean, it's like, you know, talking to somebody, going out on a first date, talking to somebody and said, we had such a great first date. Let's get married. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> it's, that's a pretty crapshoot approach. That's a crapshoot approach. And, and so many things in what we do within the recruiting process. And every single time we've failed, you know, we failed because we missed something on the cultural fit. Hmm. We missed something on the fit of, you know, sometimes we miss something on the fit of people have gotten a little bit more into their comfort zone. And so then they're a little less embracing of new opportunities and new ways to think about things and new learning opportunities. And that has come back. And the more senior someone is, sometimes we found those people are a little bit more set in their ways and a little bit more resting on their laurels, so to speak. And so it crushes you every single time it happens. And, you know, if we can step back from that and instead of thinking of each individual failed hire, if we can step back and set up our processes in terms of how am I going to vet for that fit? How am I going to vet for a seek out that lifelong learner? How would I know? And, and what will I see in the interview process that lead that would give me an early warning that that person is not perhaps in that learning mode and they're in a slightly different mode in life. And therefore, they might do very, very well elsewhere, but this might not be the right place for them. It's learning those things that would be very helpful in the long run. And I hope we'll be getting better and I hope we're going to have fewer of these mistakes. But hiring is probably the hardest challenge that we have and we always seem to have it. Sure. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And and I wanted to ask, if you had to boil it down to maybe one thing, a, a tip for our listeners on this that you've learned through your experience in the bad hires and the good hires, what would that one thing to look out for be for our listeners when they go and hire their next talented executive or their next talented team player? That would probably be, you know, that marriage between intellect and a genuine eagerness to do it. So it's attitude is just as important as aptitude. Maybe that would be the hardest lesson that we've learned. Uh, no amount of pure brilliance or talent will make up for someone that doesn't care that deeply about it and therefore is not willing to put their heart and soul into it and work really hard because notwithstanding any amounts of talent, the problems that we face in healthcare will require just sheer hard work. Totally. And so off and those are easy. Hard work becomes so much easier when someone wants it and they have a genuine desire to help out. So yeah, if there is a systematically good way to screen for that, that's what we should all chase. What a wonderful tip. And thank you so much for sharing that. Just getting somebody that has the intelligence and the willingness, they're willing to roll up their sleeves and get in and work because what we have in front of us is really a big challenge. And so that's a wonderful tip. Thank you so much for sharing. Sure thing. Tell us a little bit more about an exciting project or focus that you're working on today. So in our business, because we serve a lot of health systems, more than one in two hospitals in the United States are members of Visient. Yes. And so, you know, as a part of being that collaborative organization, we do a lot of data sharing within the membership base so that we can find these collective opportunities to learn and get better. And so are the Earlier, earlier in this conversation, I described that, you know, intelligent semantic processing technology that we had built so that it could process evidence, published evidence and return answers back in English language. So I would like us to find a way to use that technology where we apply it to the unstructured information in medical charts, because more than 90% of the really useful information in a clinical chart is actually unstructured. If we can read that 
programmatically and understand it in an extremely reliable way, then we can not just learn from what, you know, a small amounts of evidence that have been admitted into published literature, but we can also learn from the real world evidence that we all create in our clinical practice. So for example, if you say, you know, uh, what are the clinical benefits of bioabsorbable stent compared to a standard regluting stent? You can say, okay, here's 17 studies and collectively they probably have 8,000 patients. But here's what we've learned from 800,000 stents we put in across the membership base. And if we were able to do that, which we try, we just gotten started working on doing, then you have the opportunity to put create observational studies along on the fly, right? Like so, you can use this, leverage this entire corpus, leverage that semantic technology, intelligent semantic technology, and then you can conduct in real time an observational study. That is so fascinating. And truly, you know, the one thing that I've learned through the process as you share this is, is that so many of us think we're having unique thoughts. And mm-hmm. so many of us think that we have this great idea, but guess what? Somebody else is also thinking about it. And so the problem, that exciting challenge and problem that you guys are working at Edium, I want to challenge the listeners that, guess what? If you're working on this already and you feel like you want to go further, mm-hmm. why don't you reach out to Ms. Promota and connect? Would you welcome that? Absolutely, right? This is a problem. So bad outcomes are the enemy, right? Like opaqueness is the enemy, you know, ignorance is the enemy. Anyone who wants to help solve it is a friend. And that's sort of how we think about the world. And we'd love to meet and hear from people that are working on related areas. And we'd love to compare notes and figure out a way to go tackle these problems together. Bad outcomes are the enemy. I love that. And you know, the opportunity to sit here with you, Ms. Promota, and and our listeners and potentially knock down a silo and pair you and another organization together in a way that would help you tackle this problem maybe a year faster would be our mission realized. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And I encourage and challenge the listeners to reach out and collaborate with the folks at Edium and see what you guys could come up with. Thanks so much for sharing that. So let's pretend that we're building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 course or the ABCs of Anita Promota. And I'd like to write out the syllabus with your help. And by doing so, we'll walk through four questions, just kind of like a lightning round, so to speak. You open to that? Sure, let's try it. It's a very tall ask, but sure, let's try it out. I love it. Okay, so what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I believe the best way to improve healthcare outcomes is through collaboration, like exchange of ideas, and then testing any hypotheses that have been generated or testing our ideas against lots and lots of data. Love it. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Sorry, what is the biggest mistake or? Or pitfall to avoid in this pursuit of improved healthcare outcomes? You know, at the end of the day, The purpose of all of this, the reason we've all connected and we're all talking about all of this is because all of us have collectively agreed on one thing, which is whatever we're doing today is not good enough. Like we are not taking care of patients as well as we want to take care of them. We're not delivering the best of what we can and know how to do. And so the greatest pitfall that we should avoid is losing sight of that patient and losing empathy because in the spirit of technology, we cannot turn doctors into typewriters Mm -hmm. because doctors still need time and space and energy to be able to connect with their patients and engage with them because that's the care 
part of healthcare, right? And the care part is yes. as important as the health part. Wonderful. I totally agree with that. And how do you stay relevant as an organization despite this constant change? I think we think of change as a friend as opposed to a source of threat. Because, you know, each time they say that, you know, you never let a good crisis go waste, right? Each one of these change opportunities is often an, an opportunity to look at some of our innermost assumptions and our habits. And we all, if we're not careful, could become creatures that settle into some comfortable routine. And it may often not be the most optimal routine. And instead, if we treated this change as a way to re-energize ourselves, revisit any assumptions, then, you know, that lifelong learning journey and lifelong getting better journey, change could be that catalyst. And so that's the way I would encourage us to think about it. That shift in frame of, of change as a friend is, is very insightful. And what would you say is one area of focus that drives everything else in your companies? So for us, it's probably the same thing that I alluded to earlier, which is how does this help that patient and how does it help both those words health and care? Because, you know, doing the greatest science and focusing on the world's best methods to help is lost because at the end of the day, patients that are sick actually need care. Like they need that empathy. They need that warmth. So mm -hmm. on one hand, it's they need the benefit of the system's expertise and knowledge. But on the other hand, they also need that safe blanket, if you will. And so our guiding principle is always to go back and look at these two words, health and care. Whatever we're about to do, how does it impact health and how does it impact care? That's our principle. That's wonderful. And so at the end of our, our syllabus here, we would want our, our listeners to read a book. What book would you recommend to round off this course? You know, one of my favorite books in the recent times has been one that's called Contagious. Contagious? It, yeah, Contagious is a book where, you know, they share how messages get shared in a community. And why do people share information and what circumstances do they share it? And how does that influence other people's thinking? And it's a study on that. So that would be my book recommendation. If someone is in for something much more technical, I would say, Professor Levenstein's information gap theory, which talks about when human beings are most curious. And, you know, it's often, I mean, at a very high level, he describes how when there's a very defined body of knowledge where they have a high degree of knowledge, but there's also a defined gap with specific questions that they can articulate around it. And that's when human beings are very curious. So if we go back and visit those first principles and look to the great minds like Professor Levenstein, maybe we can shape our own thinking in terms of how to extend influence when we're trying to do this journey of care improvement. That's wonderful. And so Outcomes Rocket listeners, you heard it here. Contagious and info gap theory. Add those to your syllabus along with the main areas of study that we just covered and you'll be ready to rock and roll in this business to improve your outcomes. And so before we conclude, I'd like to just hand over the mic to you, Ms. Promota, and just ask for you to give us a parting piece of guidance and the best way that the listeners could get a hold of you. So first things first, this is a marathon. We're all going to have to pace ourselves and we have to make sure that whatever we do fits in into that personal sustainability program as in leaves time to make sure we exercise that we spend with our families and that we, you know, go out on a walk, you know, ride a horse, whatever it is that we like to do because this is one that's going to take years and possibly even decades. I wish everybody the best in finding that personal sustainability program so that they can be creative and continue to make great contributions. So thank you, everybody. No problem. And what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? So I have 
I can be reached anytime via email. It's apromoter at gmail.com and welcome any and all comments lessons, deliberations, opportunities to collab. Wonderful. And I'll be including all of the resources and information discussed here on the show in the show notes. Just go to www.outcomesrocket.com and you'll be able to get those. So I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity, Anita, to spend time on the show with us. I know that our conversation will create a positive ripple effect in the way that healthcare leaders and influencers address their biggest problems in their pursuit to improve healthcare outcomes. Just want to say a big thanks to you. Awesome. Thank you once again. You take care. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 